Joining us now, speaking of exciting, he is with the NFL Network. I'm sure he's thrilled to be back in Indianapolis. Charles Davis, who knows a little bit about the AFC South as well. So we will begin. Charles, thanks for joining us. I'm going to get right to Indianapolis topic of conversation and not just the city itself, but for you in looking at it and knowing the NFL. Limited sample size, but in your gut, do the Colts have the guy at quarterback that's going to be able to be their guy for a number of years? In my gut, yes, because of your head coach. Because Shane Steichen, I think, is going to understand how to not just develop this young man, but to play to this young man. Right. And that's Ske- a big, scheme towards him, I mean. Thank you. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's so huge. Like, coaching, it seems so elementary, right? We always hear about, well, you got to coach to what your talent is, yeah. not what your scheme is. And it seems elementary. And how many times have we run into a guy going, no, that's my scheme. You know, if you guys can't fit it, I can't do it. That doesn't make any sense. I think because Shane Steichen understands that and gets it and had the conviction with management, with Chris Ballard, to draft this young man. Because let's be honest about it. If that's not going to work for you, you've got a chance to get out on that one. You don't have to take him at four. Do you they think did. it was they, they were they were they were all yeah. in to be able to say we can do this? When you look at it, do you think Charles Davis that a year ago that when they had Shane Steichen in place, that they said this is a quarterback whose skill set matches the scheme, or did they say we have a coach that can scheme based on skill set because he has that sort of offensive versatility of mind? Yeah, it, it can be both, but I definitely lean towards the latter. Okay. Because you may have to change that as you go along. My best example is Kansas City. Did you ever think we'd be watching Kansas City be a defense run first football team that would win a Super Bowl? Right. Andy Reid? What? <laughs> but they did it, and Andy got his ego out of the way. He said, Spags, your defense is actually carrying me. And Patrick Mahomes, I think, played the best quarterback of his career. And, yes, it sounds like hyperbole because his numbers are so incredible in other places. I'm talking about being a quarterback, understanding your team, understanding the situation, understanding what's going on, understanding my defense is not going to – my defense is taking care of me, so I'm not going to hurt them by playing hero ball and put them in bad spots. He threw his first interception seven playoff games in the Super Bowl, and that was just a bad throw. It was just him now evolving into that person. So now I go back with Shane Steichen and understanding who I believe Shane Steichen was having, knowing, having known him in Philadelphia. What do I have? What gives us the best chance to win? Did we draft or build a team around Anthony Richardson in a sense? Sure, right? Because you expect Jelani Woods as a tight end with that big catch radius. Michael Pittman, catch radius. Josh Downs is short, but he separates. That helps your catch radius. And let's be honest about it. Josh Allen has changed how we look at things. Before Josh Allen in Buffalo, if you had said you're going to draft a 57% thrower, what would you have said? You would have said, guess what? By the end of his career, he's going to be a 58% thrower (laughs) because that's just what the NFL does. The windows are tighter. The coverage is better. The rush is faster. You don't get better doing it. I did his first playoff game. I say I. My crew did his first playoff game, third year in the league. He went from 57% to 60%. He was at 70% for the playoff game. Unprecedented at this level of the NFL. But because he did it, we all go, hmm. Opens the window for other guys, right? Anthony Richardson could be the next Josh Allen. And the other thing, Charles, that I I always felt Josh Allen did, if you look statistically at him at Wyoming, his 
his throwing percentage, his completion percentage was higher before he had a mass graduation of receivers. Yep. And in his last year, he's throwing to newer faces. Yes. So I think that that gave Great people point. pause to say, you know what, we've got to look more at totality of work as opposed to a recency bias. Great point. Okay, let's use that. Let's use that one then. Matt Ryan coming out of Boston College, like 34 touchdowns, 19 interceptions. Ooh, that's a lot of interceptions. He didn't have a single receiver off of his last team at Boston College. He even went to camp. Yeah. To your point. So that's you got to look, and now so that's what the good scout, now Richardson the good did have a small bo- a small body of work. Way, way way smaller body of work, but guess what? We're in a different era because you're going to get a smaller body of work now. Remember Coach Parcells' quarterback formula: twenty five yeah. starts. Oh yeah. Team captain, X number. You know what I'm talking about, yeah. sure. right? Mark Sanchez didn't fit that. He was like 16 starts at USC. He was on the front end of where we are now. Kids are not staying around as long, but then Brock Purdy did, and we didn't yeah. know it, but 48 starts meant something. You know who Brock Purdy is this year? It's Bo Nix. That's 60, 60 starts in college, 61 starts. It counts for something and multiple you know, play callers, systems, Auburn to Oregon, different styles of play. Sometimes you can take all that in and it can work. Sometimes it can be too much. Who was that quarterback out of Auburn all those years ago that like eight straight years he had a different coordinator. He was a first-round pick, and it just never worked. I'm trying to remember his name. I can see him playing his day, and I can't call his name. Well, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of Auburn was obviously – Kind of smaller flash and pan body working Cam Newton, right? That obviously but, but, but worked Cam, out, Cam, right? Cam, I mean, Cam, that, Cam was a big time recruit, got in trouble at Florida, went to JUCO, won a national yeah. championship at JUCO, and then had the one year at Auburn. You're right, small body work. But this was long before Cam. He, he was a first round pick, I think, with Washington. So I, anyway, we'll go back to it. I'm looking it up right yeah, now. You, you research for me, and I would appreciate it. <laughs> I but, will. but he went like eight straight years with a new coordinator, new scheme, new whatever. He never had a chance. That's too much. But on this collegiate level with Bo Nix going with all these different systems and all, it's probably going to do him well because he'll adapt quicker in the NFL. You just hope that he didn't have to do it continually on the NFL. Charles, the biggest thing, Charles Davis is our guest, the NFL Network. You are number 17. The biggest thing with Anthony Richardson, at least, commentary on him last season was. Not Jason Campbell, right? Jason Campbell. That's him. Boom. Thank you, sir. The thought of Anthony Richardson was, is he injury prone? Is that society being the overreaction society that we are or is there real cause for concern there i don't have the cause for concern at this time but you've got to be prepared for it because if he's going to be that big a part of a run game i don't care how you're built you know you know what's hitting you this is a little bit different okay he's got to learn to protect himself better he's got to learn that sometimes getting out of bounds is cool you don't have to drop the shoulder and take the other hit to show you that you're robocop even though you look like it, he'll learn as he goes along. Look, what's one of the big things we're saying about Jaden Daniels, who's, in, who's not built anywhere close to Anthony Richardson. He's much more slight, but he's such an aggressive runner. One of the things you read in every scouting report about him is, hey, he's got to make sure he takes care of himself because going to this next level, he ain't taking on those cats. All right, those cats, they, you know, it's like, it's like Rocky's old manager. It's like, Mick, he'll knock you into tomorrow. And those windows you think are going to open up for you to get an extra couple of yards in the NFL close a lot faster, right? A lot faster. I'm fortunate enough to be an SEC product. So you know we can be a little bit on the, you know, in football, right? <laughs> we can be like, oh, we've invented this thing, right? But it was true about the team speed. What was a five-yard gain in other conferences is a two-and-a-half-yard gain in the SEC. Right. Because it closes quicker. Just 
So now you get to the NFL. They're faster than the SEC, so it closes even quicker. I also know this. The SEC, no matter who you're playing, you're playing in front of 98,000 fans that have been prepared <laughs> like since it. Wednesday, right? <laughs> either been prepared or consoling themselves from the previous week. <laughs> That's right. But either way, That's right. they're it coming is. ready to go. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Charles, appreciate it, and enjoy Indianapolis while you're here. Right, We'll we look do. forward to talking to you over the course of the year. And, and, and watching thanks for your time. Do me one favor, Charles. Yes. We're good friends with Brandon Gauden. Uh, if they change the kickoff rule, could you guys stop heckling me when I take a kick out of the end zone, please, if they, if they end up changing it? That's all I ask. I will tell you this you're going to like the fact that you're getting new announcers oh really okay brandon and i will still be a part of it but they're going to have a like a three-tiered where you get to choose your own announcers i'll still be picking okay you. Don't worry well, about well we appreciate it jimmy only wait. does the marquee game so he gets you every time <laughs> i appreciate it wait i will tell brandon absolutely and we'll continue to work on not heckling people thanks a lot guys appreciate thanks, it guys. charles davis from the nfl network good stuff there talking about anthony richardson and again you know trying to figure out where the colts are now it's a matter of and you know when he was talking about jimmy i thought it was interesting talking about the receivers you know, look, you got Michael Pittman, you got Jelani Woods. I do think that tight end is still a position in terms of yard after catch tight end that Indianapolis can try to grow. And I do think that when you look at the tight end out of Georgia, they're going to have an excellent opportunity. It's going to be right there for them. It's going to be tempting. Combine is upon us here, the NFL Combine. Chris Ballard going to talk in about 15 minutes. We will carry that for you live. But before we do so, J.P. Shadrick, who was sitting right next to us, as a matter of fact, as a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars media team, he is with Jaguars.com. He also does play-by-play for Westwood One. He's a native of Birmingham. He went to the University of Alabama, and he does games all over the country. But we're going to talk right now about the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, J.P., th- first off, thanks for joining us. Welcome hey, to Indy. Great to be here, and i got to follow Charles Davis. What in the world? That That's a tough assignment, <laughs> i got to say. Charles is fantastic, but it's nice to be with you guys. I, I know I've been on before, but it's good to actually see you in person. It is, it is kind of weird when we do these radio deals. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's that guy. That's, I didn't yeah. know you looked like that. Yeah, that's Unbelievable. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, let's begin with this. I, obviously, going into the year last year, it was thought to be the Jags division, and then things kind of went awry. Clearly, it seems as though Houston has their quarterback in C.J. Stroud. Indianapolis, I think, is hoping they have it with Anthony Richardson. When you look at the Jags season, was that a matter of schematically or roster-wise they misfired on some things, or was it a health issue? Yes. I think all of the above combined to, to what happened last year. And it was the Jaguars' division up until about November. I mean, remember, they were 8-3. and three. I mean, they were in first place and had control of it, and then the injury bug bit. Christian Kirk got hurt. That was the huge key, I think, to the offense. When they didn't have their safety blanket in in Christian Kirk, then Trevor couldn't get it out fast. The interior offensive line had issues. The left side of the line was rotating all year long, so he didn't really trust it. And uh, and Zay Jones was hurt, the other receiver, so they didn't have some pieces on offense. Uh, And then schematically, because of some of those changes due to injury, they had to call it differently. It was a very wide offense. They couldn't get down the field. They couldn't stand back there and pat the ball and get vertical. So it was a lot of quick screen wide, get it out as fast as you can, run when you can. They, They struggled with that because of the offensive line play too. So it all came together for what you saw at the end, losing five of six. And then the defense had their own issues as well. They couldn't stop the run the last month and a half. Um, They had some injury issues up front. 
and that all combined, and that's what it is. And I don't know if you could put your finger on one thing. Oh, there, you know, the play calling was terrible. Oh, there's injuries. Oh, the quarterback turned it over a bunch. But all that worked together. You know, one of the things I think there's a lesson in Jacksonville, though, for Indianapolis and for Colts fans, and it would be this. And then I want you to tell me if you agree with this. The Colts are in a situation, Michael Pittman Jr., they're probably going to tag him, but I would think they certainly retain him. They're going to have the money to go out and get a second wide receiver. They have Alec Pierce and Josh Downs. But if they were going to go out and get a receiver, I think they may overpay for somebody a little bit. But I would tell them to look at Jacksonville because Christian Kirk, when he was signed by Jacksonville, seemingly was overpaid. But he wasn't overpaid for the value he brings to the Jags. That was more valuable than where it would have been elsewhere, and thus it was worth it to them. And there's a lesson to be learned there. I totally agree with that. And they knew what kind of offense they had in their mind and what that type of player could do for the offense. That's why you pay the extra money. And it turned out it looks like it's a bargain now. I mean, compared to what he can do in this offense when he's in it, when he's sitting on the sideline injured. I mean, that, that tells you what he can do. So, yeah, I agree with that. Now, from the Jags' perspective, I mean, he's still under contract. Zay Jones is going into his last year, but he was banged up a lot last year too. He's kind of their deep guy, right? Um, and the question is Calvin Ridley. Yep. So, uh, you know, they're having conversations. He was in the office with the GM last week, one-on-one, talking about it. And if they sign him before the league year, they have to give up a second-round pick to Atlanta. If not, it's a third-round pick. If he goes free or if he's tagged and signed, then it's a third-round pick. But Trent Balky, the GM, yesterday said, hey, never mind the picks. we got to get the player. And so I think that will be a focus because he went over 1,000 yards. There were two or three games where I don't think the Jaguars win if he's not making some clutch ca- uh, catches. You guys know that, obviously, here in Indianapolis early in the season, uh, first half of that game. I mean, he was all, all over the place. Uh, and he did that a few times. There were other times where he had drops and, you know, ran the wrong way from time to time, whatever, just miscommunication things. It was his first season out there in two years. So I think he's found his legs a little bit. Uh, there's, there's still a lot of tread left on the tire with Calvin Ridley. You mentioned that with the Christian Kirk injury last year that that had an impact in derailing the Jaguars' offense to what they wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. But I would think that many in the Jaguars' organization view Trevor Lawrence as the guy as he continues to grow that can offset that maybe better than he did this year. My question in that regard is where does – the offense and the burden of it need to be eased by adding more weapons for Trevor or him continuing to grow year over year into what they think he's going to be? Yeah, I think a lot of the issues with Trevor himself came in game management moments. Red zone, for example. And this has been a year over year issue for him. Uh, You know, getting out of his head when all of a sudden he's, the play is from the three-yard line the, the play is a shotgun. He's got to throw it quick first look to the pylon, front right pylon. That's the play. Well, he would extend it and roll and then throw back into triple coverage and not just throw it away, trying to do a little too much. So, and Doug Peterson talked about that yesterday. You know, as coaches, we need to continue to do a good job of teaching him these situations. He's got to do a good job of listening and, and adjusting to them, and that's going to be an ongoing process because always, he always feels like he can do everything. Yeah. Um, and himself a lot of time, like a, a, a rogue sneak here or there where he's reaching the ball over or whatever that may be. So he's got to calm that down. And, yes, they have to get a little more help around him, keep the help around him on the field, keep them healthy, and, 
And then, you know, we've seen it when all the full assortment of receivers and things are out there. They, they can go score. And they were thinking going into the season that they were going to be a 30-point-per-game offense. They said that publicly, the coaching staff. I mean, that's a bold declaration. Yeah. They didn't come close. But they feel like that is in them if they are out there. What are your impressions of the Colts? I like the Colts. Uh, I like Anthony Richardson. I like his size. You saw him play a lot in college, I'd assume, right? I did, yeah, a good bit. Um, I had him in a game. They played USF in Tampa. Florida did. And that was the time they had two quarterbacks, right? So he comes in. He had run for like 130 yards a week before, but he was the backup. They brought him in. First play, okay, you're thinking he's going to run again, right? Well, he's faked the run, stepped back, and threw a 75-yard touchdown, right, right on the rope. Then he ran for an 80-yard touchdown in the game. So he, he has that unbelievable ability, I think. And you guys know better than I would about the um, his accuracy, right? I mean, the I think that can come in time. He's got everything else. Um, it, it seems like he's got his act together off the field. I think safety blanket receivers help with that, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. If you if you have a guy Comfort that can help guys, you, right? yeah. Christian Kirk's that guy, yeah, right? Yeah. If you have somebody like that, you know he's going to be open. Evan Ingram for the Jaguars. You know he's going to run the right route. And if you put it close, he has a big radius to catch the ball and, and bail you out. You need some of those guys. And that's okay. I mean, I, but I think – you're in pretty good hands with, with a guy like him. Uh, J.P. Shadrick, by the way, from the Jags, is our guest. We're going to throw it to Chris Ballard as soon as he walks up to the podium here as we are live at the Combine. By the way, uh, Jimmy, Sweet Greens. That's the that's the food that was delivered for the Tennessee ah, kids. okay. I've not had it. I appreciate your investigative work. They said, be, they said be sure to ask for utensils because apparently they came without forks. <laughs> so I'm just helping out here. J.P., if you needed food delivered and you get sweet greens, be sure to ask for utensils. you got to have there utensils. Go. Yeah, I'm not going to eat it with my face. <laughs> That's an important part yeah, of it, We could right? have a race. We could all just go in and <laughs> yeah, just yeah. die face first. Hey, um, in terms of, you know, you were talking about Anthony Richardson, right, yeah. and just his, his development. Um, did the Jaguars kind of offer, I guess, the cautionary tale of, of anointing too early the quarterback. And I don't mean that as a knock on Trevor Lawrence, but my point being, it takes more than one guy, to your point, right? And you've got to be able to build the pieces around. I, I guess the question becomes, and, and you know, we'll still see this once he gets into regular games for an extended period of time, do the Colts have that yet for Richardson? It's a great question. I, from the Jaguars' perspective, when that all went down, he was the number one overall pick. And they didn't have a whole lot in the arsenal else at quarterback. So, hey, guess what? Gardner Minshew was there, and they split the reps during training camp when you realize, oh, wait a minute, hold on. Like, Trevor, why? Like, Trevor's going to start. Like, what are we doing? That was the Urban Meyer era and the way it worked. And that was a disaster, right? It didn't work out well, let's put it that way. <laughs> but uh, you knew at some point you got to put a guy that you draft out there and play because the Jaguars didn't have a long-term veteran player ahead of him to play. I mean, they had Gardner Minshew who had played off and on for a couple of years. And that, no, no, no hate to Minshew. I know he's here in, in Indianapolis, but that's just the, that was the situation. So if you had that guy, then maybe you draft another and you have the ability to sit him for a year. Look at what Green Bay has done over the years, right? They draft a guy, they let him sit for two years, and then they move on from the, the next Hall of Fame quarterback. That takes time to build towards that. Uh, from a Jags perspective, you had to put Trevor out there and play him because there was no real other option. He was the best option they had. And, uh, you know, the first year was a wash. You can't take a whole lot out of that season for Trevor. He got better certainly in year two. 
year three was so banged up. He was on the injury report four times. He is still the guy in Jacksonville, and in, you know I think he's still the long-term guy in Jacksonville. Could there be enough psychological PTSD scar tissue with Trevor Lawrence that you're reaching the point of, of hard to come back from? No, I think he's past all that rookie year stuff. Because we've seen all that before. I mean, not yeah. with him, but not with him. I'm saying you can see that with quarterbacks, right? I think there are some mistakes he still makes. I mean, he'd be the first to tell you, i got to stop throwing it into triple coverage at the goal line on first and goal with a one. <laughs> Guess what? Okay, well, at some point you've got to stop doing that, and he will. I think a lot of that stuff from his rookie year is gone. Uh, he's maturing. He was always a sharp guy to begin with. Um he, I think he'll have a little more vocal role in this Jaguars offense moving ahead of how it's built and what he wants and how he likes it and how they call it. And I think that's what this offseason is going to be about. Is this the most difficult offseason that they have had taking away the Trevor Lawrence pick aside? By that I mean Ridley and Josh Allen. You figure they probably retain at least one of them. And for listeners, in case they're under a rock, Jaguars Josh Allen, of course. But the Josh real, Allen, the real yeah, Josh exactly, Allen. Exactly, the real Josh yeah. Allen. Is this the most difficult <laughs> offseason that they've had in quite some time because of those looming decisions? <laughs> I mean, we've had some difficult <laughs> offseasons where we drafted number one overall sure. twice in a row. So, well, yeah. Um, if this is a problem, okay. That, it's that a good problem to have. It's a good problem. That means the guy you drafted in the first round is uh, a pending free agent and you got to pay him a lot of money. That's yeah. a good deal. Uh, I think Josh is not going anywhere. Right. Uh, whether they get it done before March 5th and don't have to tag him, fine. They talked yesterday, apparently, here at the Combine, him and the representation. It's progressing. That's a good sign. Um, if they have to tag him, fine, and then they sign him later. Uh, he's going to play for the Jaguars. That, that's going to happen. The, the Ridley thing is the more of the question mark. And it was a one-year trial. I mean, they, they traded for him before he was reinstated. And it worked out where he made some plays for them. Do you think it if left he, enough where they want to see more? I think there's some of that there. Okay. Because, like I said earlier, they, they won some games with him that they wouldn't have won if he wasn't yeah. on the team. So, And it's hard to take, you know, it's hard to fill, what, eight touchdowns, a thousand yards. That just add yeah. that to the list of things you need if you don't have him back. Favorite Leonard Skinner song? Um, Curtis Lowe. It's a good one. Strong. Yeah. Uh, give me three steps. Good one. The yep. bar in Jacksonville is still there, by the way. Really? The jug. Yeah. Okay. That's over on the west side. Uh, yeah. I, I'd go with Tuesday's Gone. Solid song. Anything. Poison whiskey. Good deep cut off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You can tell. By the way, Jim, if you're not familiar, <laughs> Jacksonville, hometown of Charlie Daniels Band makes reference to it. Yeah. Leonard Skinner's picking down in Jacksonville, yeah. right? They yeah. love some Leonard Skinner. So they played uh, the – the now the Leonard Skinner band, right? They played the final Jacksonville concert like four years ago in the stadium in Jacksonville. So we had like a whole bill leading up to Skinner. And it was like Kid Rock and Charlie Daniels was still alive and still there and Jason Aldean and, and all this building up to Skinner. There were two lightning delays. It was like in July. <laughs> they had to clear the stadium twice. I think Skinner went on at like 1030 and played the whole deal, right? I mean, Johnny still Listen. lives. Johnny Van Zandt still lives just south of town. They're, he comes to games all the time. I mean, so those guys are around. They got Maxwell House Coffee brewing right there in Jacksonville, <laughs> too, so they keep it up as late as they want, That's JP. Correct. Come on, right? Yeah. JP Shadrick, Jags.com, uh, Jaguars.com or Jags.com? Jaguars.com. Jaguars.com. All right, and uh, <laughs> certainly enjoy Indianapolis. Anywhere that you want to get dinner while you're here? We had Arian Izzy's last night. It's a good place. Uh, we got Prime, I think, tonight. Nice. Which is cool. It's 
standard fare, right? Solid. This um, is what it's all about when you come here. Yeah. Get probably steak had, and shake on your way out of town. I had that yesterday for lunch. <laughs> uh, so that was, that was a done deal. I'll probably hit the bar at uh, Elmo's at some point. So it's a good, great town. Always a fun visit here in Indianapolis. Plenty going on. It's awesome. Clearly, I think the same in Jacksonville. It's a cool town. So is your hometown of Birmingham. So appreciate it and enjoy. Uh, appreciate the time and enjoy your stay, all right? Good to see you Thank guys. You, right, Thank you, JP Shadrick. Again, uh, jaguars.com. By the way, I'm going to name for you, Jimmy Cook, the rundown and critique of an NFL franchise from a player standpoint. And I want you to tell you, I want me, excuse me, I want you to tell me what team I'm talking about. By the way, if you try to cherry pick with the Chiefs with me, I already know that it was not great. So if that's the goal of this exercise, I would pick another team. So every year teams are asked about, the players are asked about playing for a team and the stuff, you know, just in terms of basically the diva nature of how great it is or how bad it is to play for a specific franchise. The comments made about a particular NFL franchise from the players in talking about the cafeteria food available inside the facility. Okay? An improvement from last year, the team decided to offer dinner to players once a week (laughs) on Wednesdays. (laughs) Keep in mind, they're in the facility. Like, for, you know, most franchises i know like when i was covering the rams we actually had our own entry and exit card for rams park it was unbelievable but and they and we would eat like once a week with the team we'd eat the lunch (laughs) but they had an entire food service you know and obviously it's the highest level nutritional stuff for the players in terms of everything from protein to you know everything like all across the board this team ranks 30th overall in the taste of the food provided. They rank 31st in food freshness. I don't know if they were, like, checking the dates on the, the, the Lunchables they were getting. <laughs> they got an F from the health department. Yeah, they just exactly. came in and did a random exactly. test. <laughs> they only provide three meals a day on Wednesdays. They are one of just two teams that do not provide three meals a day throughout the week. So most you get, like, a breakfast, lunch, and a dinner because you're there basically all day. They do not open their cafeteria on their off day, even though players are coming in for extra work on that day. Because you go in, you get treatment, sure. you get taken care of. Sorry, you got to step out and go to Wendy's, right? The players simply want what most other teams have, three meals a day and a cafeteria to be open and operating on the off days. They were given by the players an F- minus in food and facilities. That organization, of course, is Jimmy... Uh, the commanders. The notoriously cheap. Anthony Calhoun, who just walked by, must be working for this team because he, he looks like he's lost a bunch of weight. Anthony looks like he's fit as a fiddle. Probably because he's not eating three meals a day because he plays for this team. What, what was your guess? My guess is the commanders. The notoriously cheap franchise. Joel A. Erickson of the Indianapolis Star has just walked up. Second last, guess would have been Raiders. I'm going to give Joel A. Erickson his chance to win a fabulous prize, which might involve a shirtless Milwaukee Brewers shirt or some more fun <laughs> facts about serial killers from his hometown, which will lead to a maniacal laugh if he can answer the question of Joel, the franchise in the National Football League that is mo- notoriously cheap and is they received an F- minus in terms of their food preparation. So all of the all of the players in every team were surveyed and they were asked about like, you know, what it's like and you know, the food that, that's given to them, etc., etc., etc. And this particular team came basically dead last and they got an F minus because players said they can't even eat three meals a day when they're in the facility and the food is rarely fresh. 
What notoriously cheap franchise, which I don't even believe has an indoor practice facility, am I talking about? The And if we can get Joel mic'd up here, that would be wonderful. Your answer is? The Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals is indeed the correct answer. I'm hoping that we might have you say it a fourth time so that once we get your mic working, you can say it correctly. Um, your Cincinnati Bengals is indeed correct. Joel A. Erickson, Indianapolis star, joining us on site. Your overall thoughts from Chris Ballard's comments. Um, well, I, right there at the end, uh, Mike Chappell just deserves a lot of credit for pinning him down and getting, getting him to say Michael Pittman Jr. is going to be here. Uh, no matter what, whether they have to tag him, whatever, whether it's a long-term extension. I believe the quote was like, "You, you keep your guy, right? We keep our guy." Well, the the one in the one in the off the podium session with just the local guys, it was. Uh, I can't remember exactly how Chap asked it, but he it's, it was, "Will he be here in September?" Essentially, and Ballard just said yes. You know, he he didn't say the mechanism or how it's going to work, but Pittman is going to be here. So that, I mean, that's really the 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 biggest, by far, the biggest question for them going into free agency. And now it's it's off the table. Did like it surprise you how clear he was with that? Like how honest and open? Because that that made me like happy is maybe not the right word, but I appreciated him being that clear about it. I I was a little surprised, but I also think. I also th- he he kind of he kind of there was a kind of a, a fun little repartee back and forth with with Chap where he was just kind of like you kind of got me like you kind of pinned me down in a spot where he, he said like I, he rewarded the question essentially uh, but I thought kind of before that he had already hinted like that they're going to do did he that. gave this did he give the same maniacal laugh that you've given before <laughs> Chris Chris doesn't have well he his he doesn't have like the uh, the high pitched laugh but he's got that little kind of like. <laughs> thing that's a little he's got a very fake laugh yeah he's got that one he doesn't usually, have the high usually one I have. usually it immediately follows that's a loaded question yes. <laughs> yeah there you go yeah that's pretty good it, right yeah it's pretty much dead on right mm-hmm. yeah. uh he did shave though he did shave no beard i, I noticed that i wanted to say something to him ryan grigson has a beard him. now you notice that Ryan Grigson grew the beard out. Uh, has he always had a beard? I don't know. If I, he has. I never covered Ryan, so I don't. Okay. Like I'm not well, the beard aware has. of his facial hair. <laughs> the beard has. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, but Chris still going with the flat brim hat. The flat brim hat. Yes, I. I. So I'm a. I'm a curve bill hat guy because I think there's a head shape thing to that. Like you have to have a certain kind of head shape to wear the flat bill. I. I also think, and I hate saying this because I. I was, and I still at times am in this crowd. But I have said before on the air that I want to thank Chris Ballard, and I'll thank him if, I mean, if he comes on the show, I would say to him, I want to thank you because I didn't realize over 50 how kind of weird the flat brim look is <laughs> until I saw him wearing it. And, and now, and I, you know what I mean? He kind, of, he kind of looks like Sugar Ray. And so I just decided that it's best to know your limitations. The flat brim, so the flat brim. He's a good looking guy, and he's in better shape than I. The flat brim at some point became the dominant hat to the point that, like, there are certain styles of hat you can only get in the flat brim. There's no right. There's nothing for us curved brim people, and I don't understand that. It does not look right on my head. It looks like the like if I wear a flat brim, it looks I mean, like part of the that's because you're over twenty, right? I mean, let's be real. Part of right? it, yes. Yeah. But I think the other part is like I don't have I don't have a beard. I don't have like a super. Um, I shouldn't say like I don't want to say round because it makes sounds like I'm saying making a weight thing. But some people have rounder faces, and I think the flat brim. You don't looks have better a flat brim them. chin. That's the problem, right? <laughs> like my brother has a huge beard, and so the flat brim looks good on him because it's 
it's like it just sets up. It, like whereas with mine, like Is it just looks like Amish? it's coming out. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know up there in Wisconsin. You know what I mean? Dairy farmer. You were a dairy farmer, right? We were a dairy, we were dairy farming. Okay. Yes. Uh, but Josh is in Fishers now. He's 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 right here. Oh, so, so he farms here. Okay. <laughs> well, so let's speaking of dairy farmers, let's milk what was said by Chris Ballard. Um, the Pittman thing I thought was the big storyline that he, mm-hmm. he there was no bones about the fact that that he, look he's going to be here, right? Yeah. Um, I thought he also. What was interesting to me was he he kind of tipped the hand a little bit about what I think is an increased probability in round one, and that is more offensive weapons for Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I thought I thought um, he sort of there was kind of two answers, especially with wide receiver, that maybe maybe bumped up what I thought he was going to do at that position in the draft more. There, the first one was where he said uh, he compared this class to Pittman's class, which was just full of starting caliber wide receivers and just saying that the depth was there. And then I asked him about just the fact that they essentially only had three receivers play last year. And they got lucky in that they essentially didn't miss, they missed one game. It was just the Pittman concussion game. And his answer to that was um, sort of the thing that a lot of Colts fans have heard him do over the years where he said, that was on me. I didn't give them enough. He's, he said a lot about Ashton Doolin and like not having that, that experience there. But he also said, it's on me. We had to rotate a lot of guys through there. He was acknowledging the need. And then he's acknowledging the depth in the class. The wide receiver spot there, he, we asked him about tight end once, we, once he moved off the podium, and he wasn't quite as hinty with that one, but... That but, oftentimes means you can read into that. Well, right? that's, that's the other thing is, like, at, at tight end, I think there's one guy, and everybody who wants him should be hiding their cards because, like, you want him to drop. Yeah. He had mentioned as well that relationships between coach and general manager are never yay kumbaya there's always a little give and take and that's part of a healthy dynamic in a front office do you envision with where they slot it could be a wide receiver falls or brock bowers falls or they go edge or corner do you think because shane steichen is an offensive minded guy that there will inevitably be that type of back and forth between them come draft day of no I want an offensive weapon no we need to get Gus Bradley a weapon on defense or do you think there'll be a a solid front by then that's a really good question because I don't know that we know and and head coaches are better at at hiding their hands on this than general managers because it just looks worse if the head coach says I want things Um, but Steichen one of the things that I came away that from the end of the season thinking with Steichen was that he's more involved in the defense than we realize we kind of talk about him as this offensive mind, but like some of the stuff with the way they played and you know back and coverage and trying to limit the explosives and all that stuff. My general read on it towards the end of the season was Steichen was more behind that than maybe we realized, and that makes me wonder about like his views on defense. Like Ballard even said in his in his January press conference, Shane Steichen sees everything, sees offense, sees defense, sees all of that, and it, so that makes me wonder, especially with the first round, like is there something that he's going, okay, we were 28th in scoring defense last year, I I want this so that the so that our defense is better because I. He, I think, I think we, like I said, we talk about him as an offensive mind, but my sense at the end of the season was maybe he's more involved on defense than, than we sort of talk about. Do you get the impression, Joel A. Erickson of the Indianapolis Stars, our guest, we are at the NFL Combine in the Convention Center. Uh, Chris Ballard spoke, oh, I don't know, some 45 minutes ago or so, kind of going over what the Colts forecasting, maybe what they may do. Did you get the impression that, if there is a dynamic one that is intriguing enough to him 
that in the first round, if the Colts draft where they are sitting, that they could go cornerback. Yes. I, yeah. I, and I don't know that we would have said that a month ago, or am I naive there? I, I have thought for a while that like for all of the stuff he said about the young guys, he keeps mentioning, you know, he, he's, very, he's been very effusive in his praise of Jalen Jones. He keeps mentioning that Brents was hurt a lot last year. And obviously they've been through some Achilles tendons like Dallas Flowers has. And I, I asked him, you know, you've got some of these spots where you've got a bunch of young guys. Do you add, like, and he said you always try to add. I, I just kind of get the sense that some of these spots that were pretty thin last year, I think that the, the thinking has probably changed in terms of we kind of know what we need now. We know what we've got with Shane. And... And I think I think that that maybe I think it maybe opens up the first round. I think that there's a lot more possibilities there than maybe we're talking about. Just because he feels like there's some depth, not necessarily like top line depth, but like developing depth. And we've seen him go both ways with that in the past. I was going to say, is this another year where we see the famous trade down? I think that's possible. Yeah, I think that's possible because corner, at least my understanding of the corner position right now, kind of feels like a spot where there's no like clear obvious guy. And then, like wide receiver and tight end, there's like a clear top group that could all be gone by that point. And that kind of makes me wonder, like, is that is that where he starts thinking, hey, we can pick up picks? Where I would like to see Chris Ballard change, and I know this is a big wish because what are the odds of as tenured as he is, him changing what he does philosophically, but take a big swing for a second weapon in free agency and not be afraid to because he's so good at finding – cheaper guys and turning them into valuable pieces like he's shown he can do that go out and pay top level for a top level piece he mentioned in the middle of that presser though the acknowledgement that just because the cap jumped doesn't mean they can go you know supermarket sweep so to speak and go spend like crazy because there's no guarantee it's going to jump the same way next year his comments on the cap did that reveal anything to you about them staying status quo in terms of philosophy on spending he didn't say this but this is my read on the cap going up just from listening to gms yesterday uh it gave a lot of teams life on guys that they thought they were gonna have to get rid of people who are not in the colts cap situation who thought that maybe they'd have to make cuts like they can keep guys because the cap shot up further than they thought they people would. closer to the cap that were not a lot of dollars to spend yeah yeah so if they can keep their guys that means there's less guys on the free agent market which almost may, has me wondering like ballard doesn't like to pay for lower like is this going to be a really watered down free agent class by the time we get there? Just because teams all of a sudden have all this money to spend, to, they don't to have keep to keep their guys, right? To, yeah. And that's what they're going to do generally. Like we've been seeing that with free agency for a while now. The top guys, like everyone you're seeing on the lists right now and top guys in free agents, like 8 of them, 8 of the top 20 are gone in the next week or so. I I think we might see that a lot because their teams are going to go, "Hey, we've got extra money to play with that we didn't know was coming." Joel A. Erickson, our guest, we're at the Combine. Um, Joel, I like to call this basically like summer chapter for, or like like winter chapter, off-season chapter for NFL teams. It's just a bunch of guys with lanyards walking around going, hey, coach, you good? You good, coach? You good to see you, coach. And then they have like steak dinners. And then, as I mentioned, they take pictures with Eddie White and everybody goes home, right? Um, what's the most important element of this exercise, if you will? The Combine in general? Yeah. It's the medical. It's, 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 there's, there's decisions that get made in the draft every year where one team has decided that 
some body part on a player is not going to work out going forward. And so he's off their board and we don't realize that. And all, all, all that stuff kind of happens here. Um, sometimes now, there's... Now, allow me to ask this, because I and maybe you don't know the answer either. I don't mean to put you in a bad spot, but... MRI, let, let's say that there is a defensive edge rusher out of, you know, whatever, state U, okay? And a team looks at it and says, the way this guy's lining up, he just really is favoring that left side. And I've got serious concerns. They haven't said anything, but he looks to me like he's got a rotator cuff problem. Do they themselves request that he go get an MRI, or does every player go through it and then every team gets access to it? So, so that's a good question. I, I don't know for sure if it's like a full body scan for everybody, but I do know that, that individual teams' doctors are over there and get to look at, like after they do whatever the, the general is, they get to look at specific body parts. Um, and I also know that there's some general stuff, because like a good example I can use is Nick Fairley, because this happened already, but like he had a heart thing when he went through the combine that the NFL decided was okay. And then when I was covering the Saints, they re-signed him only to discover that something had gone wrong with his heart pro- problem, and he never played again. Right. You know, and there are players that Eddie White mentioned this earlier, which is a good point. There have been not a lot, but there have been players that have come through the combine and they've discovered, you know, like a heart issue that they did not know before. And that turns out to be like, whoa, like this might have saved this guy that they now know about. You know, well, Ma- I myocarditis mean, or something like that. Montez, Montez Sweat a couple years ago, or I guess it's not a couple years ago now. He's he's going into free agency, but like uh, that was he was supposed to be the best pass rusher in the draft that year, and he dropped I think all the way to twenty six. And part of it was a heart issue that they discovered at the combine that has not turned out to be something. But it, right. I think I think for some teams, depending on how your doctors view that. It can be a bigger thing than people realize. And they, no one's going to come out after the draft and be like, well, we didn't pick that guy because we have a medical grade on him. But it, it happens. Like, it's part of this this whole thing. And then the, the secondary thing that's going on is all these teams are meeting with agents and setting up what's going to happen in free agency. Right. I mean, I, I would imagine that's the case, right? Yeah. A lot of, that's the number two thing that's going on. A lot of, like, backhanded deals or promises or winks and that kind of you thing. You mean they're not just drinking at St. Elmo's? There's they actual stuff well. going they on? They do that as well. <laughs> right. I, I, I do know of one coach, no names mentioned, that uh, I know one coach that, no, that apparently got hammered one year and it got a little bit ugly. And then I know my favorite story was at one of the prominent restaurants in town. Daniel Snyder insisted on smoking a cigar. They said it's non-smoking. He said, do you know who I am um, and again I go back to no. if you have to tell people who you are you aren't <laughs> and he said they said well sir you know everybody in the room here knows it's a non-smoking restaurant and he said well fine I'll pay the bill for everybody in the restaurant he did so he then continued to light a cigar and they said we already told you this once thank you for paying for everybody's bill but you're out of here and they escorted him out of the restaurant <laughs> and that probably is largely maybe that's part of the reason why the owner of the Indianapolis Colts spoke up and made him force, his, uh, force him to sell his team so that should tell you who it that's is, a right? Great, that's a fantastic that's story. Right. So he, he's a guy that will pay your bill and um, is no longer the commander of his franchise. <laughs> educate and entertain, Joel. That's educate what we do here, Joel. Right we don't educate at all. The kids over here in Jacksonville are asleep, as a matter of fact. But we entertain, I'll tell you that much, right? These guys are like, wait a minute. I thought we were coming here to get Elmo's and listen to Leonard Skinner. Instead, of we got some jackass next to us telling stories about <laughs> Daniel Snyder. Oh, I said his name now. 
joined now one of our regulars throughout the NFL season. You know him on the IU Radio Network as well as his work for NFL Network. It's Rhett Lewis, but this time in person, Rhett. Great to see you. Great to see you guys uh, here live and in color. And, uh, you know, nice uh, nice to be always be back in the uh, in the Hoosier State. Got a chance to spend some time down in Bloomington uh, this morning. So uh, all is good for me. I'm, I'm getting ready for the long haul here, though. I'm here through Monday. So ready to rock and roll. Well, you were actually – did you get a chance to go see the Hoosiers last night? I didn't, unfortunately. You uh, know, you didn't pull the fire alarm? Well, I, I didn't. Um, and I, I don't know that I'm allowed back in Assembly Hall. I think they've lost like six straight games with me in attendance. So, <laughs> You know, Red, I hate to say this to you. That doesn't put you in exclusive company. That's, that's, that's true. Days, this year's right? been tough. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no doubt. That's called a season ticket holder, right, actually. Right. Um, so let's begin with this, actually, before yeah. we get to the combine. Just your thoughts yeah. now on, you know, Kurt Signetti's group. You were able to kind of be yeah. around just the mood and the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, your overall impressions? I, you know, um, I, I think what Kurt did is he put together a much improved roster and a really good group of assistant coaches, particularly at the coordinator level. Um, uh, Tino Sinceri, Mike Shanahan, Brian Haynes, um, you know, that group is is really sharp. And, you know, Bryant obviously has a lot of uh, familiarity with Kurt from being with him a couple of different times, including at JMU. Obviously, the offensive coordinators, Shanahan and Sinceri, both with him at, at JMU as well. That continuity, I think, is big in terms of packaging the message. Um, but, man, I think these guys are, the way that I would characterize them in the coaching profession is rising stars like these dudes are i mean just really sharp football minds when you look at kurt signetti and coming from james madison and maybe we don't know the answer to this yet yeah but he has won a lot of games at, at, at multiple schools is that because of fundamental scheme and just in precision of out scheming people yeah or is he bringing in a talent level that is exceeding the competition at that level. In other words, one of them immediately transfers, perhaps. Yeah. The other one is a challenge at a school like Indiana within the Big Ten. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a really good question, Jake. And I, I think the um, the answer might sound like a cop-out, and I don't, I don't want it to, but I, I do think that there is a healthy balance there. And I think that there is there's an idea of scheme, right, that has proven tried and true, and then he understands the type of player that they need to make that thing sing. And when you have those two things really marry together and you're not switching up offensive schemes from year to year to year to year to year, you know, which unfortunately has been a part of the program at IU the last the last few, I think that's that's some of the thing, you know, one of the things that I think could really pay early dividends is to have everybody rowing the, you know, the boat in the same way. Excuse me, PJ Fleck. Big I was picture. Say, yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. We get our signals crossed. Big picture Big 10. Yeah. yeah. Will the arrival of USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington be immediate? Like, will will their presence on the conference be immediate? Well, I don't – it's hard to say. There's so much turnover there, right? I mean, uh, you know, USC – Especially Washington. Like, you're not getting the Washington you thought you were getting, You're not getting – no, hell no. You're not getting the – I mean, the team that's going to come into Bloomington next year, right? And, I mean, like, quarterback's going to look different. Obviously, scheme's going to look different. Coaching staff, the whole thing. Same thing for UCLA. When we go out to Pasadena – you know, brand new quarterback, brand new head coach, yeah. which I didn't necessarily expect. But um, I think there's still a little bit of a uncertainty about what that's all going to look like right away. I think you're going to expect the talent level, you know, at a USC. Um, and then at or- Oregon, I think, is the one that's going to feel immediate. That's a damn good team. Yeah, and that's and they've been good for you know, 10, yeah. 15 years now, right? Yeah, like, I mean, repeat, ever, since, right? ever since, you know, my 2000. 
three Indiana Hoosiers went up to Austin and beat them. They well, really, they, and they were that was the a turning last, point. Actually, was, hey, not, they, weren't they the last? Isn't Indiana the last uh, Big the Ten last team to beat non, them? And is it, was it Big Ten or last non-Pac twelve? Maybe to that's what it right. was. Yeah, yeah, to non-conference beat win. Yeah. yeah, to win there. Um, Let's go. But what is the what's yeah. the storyline of this combine? What's the buzz? What's the the big narrative going in well it, it coming in it's been about the quarterbacks now unfortunately that narrative has turned to well which of the quarterbacks is going to throw right and we right. know now that uh, the top guys are not going to really do it but i think the thing that intrigues me and it has some some hoosier state ties is like does michael Penix give us a cj stroud-esque workout from a year ago like cj stroud put together arguably the best qb throwing workout that we have seen at the combine in some I think Penix has absolutely has that ability to shine in this setting, right? Nobody in his face. Go out there and let that arm absolutely rip it. I think he's got the. I think he's got the best arm talent, like pure arm talent. How much talent do the knees hurt him though? Well, that's the thing. It's like for as good as he'll be in the throwing portion, I got no idea what the medical group is going right. to say about him, right. and that's probably the biggest piece of his evaluation in this combine. Man, you feel bad for the kid because it, it literally, at, at all levels, Rhett, that's been the one thing that's held him back, right? Except he's been healthy for two years. Now, the lasting image, unfortunately, you have of him is him well, like, clutching his ribs correct. as he's coming off. A, a decade ago, Rhett Lewis is yeah. our guest of NFL Network. A decade ago, what would the reaction have been nationally and among scouts if a top wideout like Marvin Harrison Jr. was not active around the combine? And the fact yeah. that he's not this week, from your prism... Does it give any wiggle room for Aroma Dunze or Malik Neighbors to maybe rise up boards because of that? Well, I think what, what's happening here is we're talking about three top eight picks. Yeah, so, right. It's relative. <laughs> yeah, it's sure. all relative. I certainly understand the question. Um, I, I still think Marvin Harrison is the first wide receiver off the board. I love that Roma Dunze is going to compete unless that's changed in the last 12 hours and I, and I missed it. But I lo- that, that tells you a little bit about what that dude's about. Like, that's a that's a competitive son of a gun now. Yeah. Like, I love watching him play. Man, he is tough. He can be physical. Uh, and he's, he can be silky smooth, too. And, like, you just don't see a lot of that combination of player. I think I think neighbors is just scratching the surface really right i think he's got so much more that he could he can unlock i think there's some technical stuff that he could get better at in terms of route craft he's he can win on athleticism right and that and and now he's got some you know some craft to his game but i think you know you get him in a good system with a, with a really good group of offensive coaches and man that dude's gonna take is off. route running the hardest thing in a prospect to realize if it's going to translate or if it, there's room for growth I, I think um i think you can tell when you see a guy that's refined mm-hmm. you can tell right you're like that we're gonna that dude's gonna make it like whether he runs a you know four five nine or a four three nine yeah. like i gotta we're gonna find a way for that dude to win um on game days in the nfl i i think um i think it's one of those things that can take a receiver to the next level like you could see like all right he's got great athleticism now let's coach his let's coach his ass up here and see where it see where it really takes us brett lewis is our guest of course you can hear him doing indiana football games also talking about the nfl draft nfl network nfl.com several places where you see his work Rhett, the the gap between the college game mm-hmm. and the NFL game is the least translatable at which position. Which position, when you look at a college tape, mm-hmm. do you say, you know, quarterback, obviously the chasm's huge, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it, what's the position where a jump out on tape at the college level is most immediately transferable to plug the and play. Yeah. Um, I, I think what we've seen right now is it's, it, and it's so funny because 10 years ago, it was probably the opposite. 
but it's the wide receiver spot. Yep. Like we're finding ways to more creative ways to use receivers skill sets in certain in, in different fashions with different teams and play callers. Like I remember, t- you know, 10 years ago, you draft a receiver in the first round. It's like, oh, well, man, you know, maybe in year two, we'll get an impact out of this guy, you know, but that just, I think it was like the, it's like the Odell Beckham year. Um, things really started to shift and you started to see that. Now there were outliers, right? Like a Calvin Johnson is an outlier to that. Basically any guy yeah. out of LSU, that's no con- <laughs> like an intermediate, right? right? Right, right. That's a good one. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think you can, I mean, edge rusher, I think you, that's a plug and play type of situation because you can you can use them situationally so. because of what's happening with look look at this past year's Super Bowl yeah. Jake brought this up earlier it's a lot of weapons on San Francisco but it's George Kittle it's Travis Kelsey it's do-it-all tight ends yeah. being a framework piece around top level franchises last year was an incredible tight end draft class in terms of what was there are we seeing now for teams I don't want to call it a renaissance but mm-hmm. a resurgence on the value of a do-it-all tight end versus just a couple of guys that can both do things well? Yeah, um, you know, I think um, I think like a guy, like thinking back to a TJ Hawkinson, you know, who was a beast in the run game. And we haven't even really seen you know that piece of his game as much as I thought we would at the at the you know at the NFL level is like you know the, the way he dominated in the run blocking and then obviously he was a terrific pass catcher which he's been now for the Vikings since they traded for him. Um, I, I look at um, I look at a couple of guys in this class that I think are really intriguing. Obviously Bowers, like whoever gets Bowers, you're gonna have a ten year. It's the biggest Colts rumor right now, right? Yeah. Where they're slotted and, and where that's to right fall. around. I it, mean, doesn't it? it 15, although, yeah. doesn't it feel though, Rhett, like Bowers out of Georgia, the tight end? Doesn't it feel like he's a guy that everybody's gonna slot at fifteen, and then all of a sudden he's gonna go off the board at seven, and everybody's gonna? Oh, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, shoot, the Chargers could take him at five. Yeah. You know, if they don't, um, if they don't, you know, if the top two receivers, you know, are gone or whatever. Um, I um, Bowers definitely feels like a, a potential Colt there uh, for sure. But like beyond that group, beyond Bowers, like once you get into day two and day three, um, a guy like Dallin Holker from Colorado State is a guy that's really intriguing as bit more of a uh, of a pass catcher, but I mean, Colts have plenty of those, right? I mean, Moali and Jelani Woods and Will Mallory. And I guess the question, though, is do they? It feels like, like they have a bit you know, of guys. That, here's what I, here's what I yeah. think, and you tell me if you think it's yeah. off base. I think, I think Colts have four, serv- well, three now, yeah. serviceable tight ends, yeah. but they don't have any in-space playmaking time. Maybe not a game-changer type of player yeah, where, yeah. where you're dictating coverage and where right. defenses are spending time trying yeah. to figure out how to deal with them. Um, yeah, I, it, that, I think that's probably fair. Um, and then, you know, I, I think Holker is a player like that. Really impressed me at the East-West Shrine Bowl. Got to watch, like, a, as a day-three guy, like, who did not get a lot of buzz. In fact, I'd be shocked if anybody here really knew who the hell he was. Tip Ryman from Illinois, uh, six foot five, two hundred seventy pounds, like big dude. But his athleticism, I think, is really going to catch people off guard uh, at the combine. You think he'd be the first tip in NFL history? <laughs> I don't know, man. Go back to the thirties. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Tip Henderson down the sideline. He goes by, by gratuity as his birthday. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So yes. yes. Uh, by the way, funny story on, on Holker. He. Um, He's married. Um, he transferred from BYU to Colorado State. He caught more passes than he tied in college football this year. Um, but his wife, he and his, his wife is a track athlete at Colorado State. And so they would hop the fence to the Colorado State football facility, and she'd run the jugs machine for him at like 10 o'clock <laughs> at night, and he'd catch like 200 balls. Wow. 
Well, hey, cool. commitment, right? Practice makes perfect, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's, trespassing and whatever. That's the kind of yeah. that's the kind of couple you need, yeah, right? Yeah, that's it. Nothing so, wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the Rhett Lewis is our guest, and yeah. the, the combine is what we're talking about. Um, do you feel like now in today's day, maybe more so than than even ten years ago, fifteen years ago, that the combine is perhaps more where a guy comes simply to cement his lot as opposed to. Like, at this point, don't we kind of know everything other than health about a guy? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. But I, I'd also say, you know, when when guys do burn up the turf out here and they, you know, blaze some time, that's that's incredible. I think it does. It does. I was just talking to Tom Telesco uh, of the Raiders. And uh, you guys obviously Former know well for me. Yep. yep. Um, and, I mean, like, he's like, I still love watching the receivers run. Like, I still love watching the corners run. Like, how fast are they going to go? Like, that still kind of revs me up a little bit. So, like, it's not all for show. Like, I mean, it's, it, is a, it is a useful tool. Um, but, I, but, yeah, I mean, like, they're not doing their jobs if they don't have, you know, a firm idea of who these players are based off their college tape from the last two, if not more, years. It's all but fun yeah. in games until you take a Darius Hayward Bay and then all of a sudden those, those 40 <laughs> times was, don't matter. Who was the other one? Oh, who was the kid I think Cincinnati took? That was like ran John the fast, Ross. That's it. Ran the fastest Mr. 40. Yeah. Yeah. And and then you found out the other half of that is you got to catch the ball once it comes. Well, through, yeah, right? you do. And you got to try not to pull a hammy too while you do it. Um, and that was the other challenge uh, for Bruce him. Bruce Campbell sure. from Maryland was like a ridiculously athletic offensive lineman who the Raiders also ended up taking. Yeah. <laughs> There's a track record there. Yeah. Cle- Cleveland Farrell looks great yeah, on tape. Cleveland the Raiders Farrell, took him yeah. fourth, and yeah. it was like holy cow. And then yeah, yeah you see what happens, yeah. right? And he was a Clemson guy. I was a big Clemson guy. Oh. Is there an undervalued spot of this draft right Under, now? As it undervalued. Well, um, like one that that because we know what the sexy positions are, but there a spot where yeah, there's real value. I mean, the, the offensive tackles are incredible um, in terms of teams need them, and there's all. There, I mean, there might be seven or eight of them going to first round. Like that, that is a big time, uh, big time group there. I think, and then the receivers are loaded. Yeah, um, receivers, and it's a great year to really try to improve your offense. Now the running back group. I don't know. But okay, what, what's so running back? You mentioned yeah. what's a position of need in the league? Yeah, that if there's a team that has a, a, a decent pick in the first round, but they are completely They're in trouble there. because well, because the area of need for them is the weakest in this draft. That yeah, that's be, a, that's a tough one. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. That, I don't know. If there's a team that needs a running back right i mean like you figure out ways to find that group um especially in in today's league um i would say um the safety group is is a little tough to evaluate i mean like we saw this develop during the all-star game season and like they were i feel like the the guys who put the games on were so thankful that they were allowed to have underclassmen this year and that's really where you saw the bulk of the underclassmen that went to all-star games were safeties like they needed the the junior safeties to get into the game to get a, a better look cuz the the safety class just didn't have that top end talent Brett, appreciate you making yeah. time for us as always. Yeah. Looking Pleasure, forward man. to more chats yeah, uh, throughout the NFL now, season. Now, what are we drinking here? Oh, it's my kombucha, man. I just had to get that get that gut savory going. peach kombucha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Okay, organic yeah. as well, well which of course. is important, right? Yeah. The, the, you're a West Coast guy, right? <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> that is. Yeah. That is. I, well, I'm here for seven days, so I just had to. I literally just went to the grocery well, here's store. Here's the important thing: immunity. Because I don't know if you've See? seen it or not. Right? A lot of these guys walking around here bathing, not a high priority. <laughs> so the immunity thing, that is. Smart play right See, there, on, brother man. man. I yep. got you. I That's got a you. veteran move Pleasure. right there. That's Pleasure, Brett dudes. Lewis of the NFL Network, and always appreciate it, Rhett.